Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of Revolution Recap, home of the lead leaders and big chances missed to start the 2020 season as the New England Revolution have seven big chances they have failed to convert on, tied with only the Seattle Sounders for first place in that interesting category um, and coming off a 1-1 draw against the Chicago Fire at home, their first points of the season. Joining me today is Jake Katniss. Jake, the Revolution obviously creating a lot of chances. Um, Jake, of course, from the Bet Musket. The Revolution creating a lot of chances to start, to start the season, but have only completed two goals. Should Revolution fans be panicking by the poor finishing, or should they be you know, somewhat hopeful by the fact the Revolution have created so many chances, um, even though two games in, they only no, got no, one no. point is, on the board? This is, this is not panicking. Do not call the work number trying to report robberies or panic or missing ankles for whatever Christian Pena did to that poor man from Chicago. No, that is not a proper use of my work number. <laughs> All of you stop it. Looking at you, Jeff Lemieux. As, as, the, uh, as the panic more for the, uh, for the know, dribble or the you know terrible what? pass there, that followed um, it from Christian Pena. <laughs> I, I know Jeff Lemieux had the tweet because I, I as, as usual, have to respond. Of, that is not a proper use of the work number as as – all things are for those who don't know that I, I do answer nine one one phone calls for a living. Um, the uh, yeah, that that seems to sum up the revolution kind of in a nutshell. Where it's like we can get to that great moment, and then two seconds later we find a way to balls it all up. The amount of chances that were missed in this match, starting in just the eighth or ninth minute, when that Diego Fagundes <laughs> got the ball right in front of goal and sent it miles high of the net. I think Pania had a great chance in the second half that he. He blew. Uh, Buxa scored a fantastic goal that, you know, I would say was not one of the easiest chances of the night by any stretch. Um, but, you know, you had that missed chance for Pena, the missed chance for Fagundes. And at the very end of the game, uh, Justin Rennix with what's, you know, got to be the easiest chance of his revolution career so far in his limited minutes and might be the easiest chance he gets all season um, from you know, a yard out from goal with more probably easier to put it on frame than off frame somehow managed to send it high of the net. You know, disappointing result. For the revolution, what do you take away from a game like this for the Revs, um, in which they did a lot of things right, uh, but also kind of gave up a sloppy goal and, and did did concede a few chances and ended up with a one-one draw in a game that they probably feel like they should have left with three points. I, I think I feel the same that that we did in, in Montreal where, when we leave with with no points. It's you, you know this is you know without Carlos Gill, it's it's really really hard to judge where this team is because they are doing a lot of things right. Um, and, and it just seems like they're, we're just lacking something in the final third. And sometimes that's finishing. Sometimes it's the final ball. Sometimes it's a little bit of both. This seems to be more of a finishing problem um, with, with respect to Tejon Buchanan, Justin Rennix, who I love the fact that they're coming in off the bench late in games and they're getting runouts and they get to cause problems and do fun things. Um, yes, we prefer our shots to be on target. We don't prefer to have our sitters end up in row Z. However, for young players who did not get a lot of playing time last year, um, 
or in non-USL games, uh, at least they're in the right spot to put the sitter in row Z as opposed to those types of chances just being like, why is no one at that back post? Why is no one covering over here? Why is no one getting to this spot? At least I can say we're in the right spot. Because if you're in the right spot, nine times out of ten, good things are going to happen. We keep rolling the natural one on the proverbial Dungeons & Dragons D20, but we can work through that and buy new dice and figure out, okay, once we start getting things on target, once we start creating – the chance creation problem is not going away. We've had this problem for several years. It's not a new problem. Um, At some point, those types of chances even out. You start putting together chances that don't deserve to go in. Um and they turn into little magical wonders. Um, that fairly harmless cross into Buxka at the, at the top of the 18, that probably should have been defended, and somehow Buxka one-touches it around a statue of a defender right. and then slots it into the post. That probably is not the goal the Revolution deserved that day, but it was pretty darn cool. Yeah, and, and you talk about the, the Renex chance. I just want to go back to that one quickly. Last weekend, it was Buchanan who had the great chance that could have gotten the Revolution a point. Um, you know, and if you're being generous to Buchanan, he should have put that away. But I don't think you, Buchanan's a guy you count on to be coming in at the far post and, and heading a ball on frame. I don't think that's his, his <laughs> forte. Um, but when you talk about a guy like Justin Renex, uh, yeah, he's young. Yes, he hasn't gotten that many minutes. But this is a guy that has played most of his career as you know, a forward or a striker. Um, mm-hmm you expect that to kind of be his bread and butter. Is it, is it too harsh to say that even a guy that is young and hasn't had a lot of minutes has to put that on frame? I think at least, yes, it has to be on frame. Listen, if, if, if it's not on frame, you can't score. And that's what it boils down to. Um, you know, I, I'd rather be getting shots on frame and maybe, you know, making the goalkeeper do less work and making making the goalkeeper have more of a routine save because you hit it right at him, um, than to be trying to you know touch everything into the side netting or finding the perfect angle or whatever it is, just get the ball on net. Make the goalkeeper do something to earn that save, because a lot of times if you make him earn the first save, he's not in a position to get to the second one, uh, because usually he's spilled it or he's put it back into play, and and I think right now that's something that New England has hasn't really been doing it seems like a lot of our first chances are the only chances there's not a lot of cleanup shots um if you're not scoring pretty ridiculous goals like bunbury and buckska there's not a whole lot of second chances not a lot of easy goals um and, and new england just needs a couple of those right now and based on some of the chances they have been getting a couple of these need to be just slotted into the you know you know goal. these are not shots that that look like they're that hard and it seems like uh the new england strikers are in the in the in the box are just making it look harder than it is right now so the one guy that did seem to have a good shooting night was buxa mm-hmm. um, which is what the revolution expect from their dp striker um, he finished the night with three shots two on target um, he scored that nice goal he had another shot blocked on the line um, he had two chances created five ball recoveries um, four aerial duels, one, uh, did have three times he was dis- dispossessed and his passing was just 11 for 16. Um, but overall, I thought it was a very promising performance from Buxa. I think there was some, uh, some people that were a bit negative on his debut performance the week before, but, um, in this game, I think he gave the revolution what they want from him, which is a you know great target in the box and a guy that's, um, putting away chances when he gets them. Uh, what did you think of his performance? And do you think it was, you know, more promising than what we saw against Montreal? Yeah, no, I, I think I think Buxa had a lot more support than he did in Montreal. Montreal looked like he was stranded a lot. Um, I, I think New England is definitely going to benefit a lot more from having heel back with Buxa. 
um, because then you have an actual creator in the middle of the field because I do not want Gustavo Bo operating as a number 10. I love you, Gustavo. You are not a 10. You are an off striker. I need you higher up on the field. Stop roaming around everywhere. Um, you wear, you wear number seven, but you're, you are, you are some kind of a striker. You are not a number seven partner or midfielder type. Um, despite the fact that, that Bo continues to create chances from all over the field. I have no idea how he does it. Um, set pieces and everything else. But no, we, we need, we need Harless Gill back in the middle of the field. That's going to free up Bo to get balls in better places. That's going to free up Busca get balls in better places. Um, I think the wingers are going to see better distribution. That includes Christian Pania, who just, I think in particular right now is, is suffering the most. Uh, and we can't get him going because I just, I feel like the service just is not getting out wide in, in dangerous areas. I feel like, I feel like Pania in particular is getting the ball not enough in the final third. He's getting it always before uh, the 18, um, you know, 20, 30 yards away from goal on the wing. That's just, that's just not going to get it done uh, for new England. They, they need to get the ball in the final third a lot more. They need to, they need to really, you know, get close to the end line, penetrate, use the crosses. The crosses are beautiful. The crossing is not the issue. Normally it has been, Uh, um, you know, get, get Busca, get Bo, get, you know, Gill following up at the top of the box, get more people involved in the box rather than um, just sort of, you know, have one person crashing in on goal. You need, you need two, you need three, um, you know, make the defense, you know, really earn, you know, that first, second, third chance um, type opportunities. And and you'll start seeing New England convert a lot of these chances. Um, they're, they're playing for the most part relatively well. Um, it's just just in the final, just right before the final third, it just seems to be sort of falling apart just a little bit, and I think Heel's going to be one of the big reasons why that'll that'll solve itself. Yeah, and you talk about the crossing; it's been you know a lot better from Brandon By. I think it's been mm-hmm. good from Gustavo Bo. Um, Jones on occasion has put in a, a few nice crosses, um, but where it hasn't been great, at least in this game, was from Pania, who you talked about, who was zero for four mm-hmm. on crosses, and from Teal Bunbury, who was zero for one on crosses, mm-hmm. and. You know, I didn't think Pania had a very good game. I don't think you thought Pania had a very good game based on, based no. on your comments. Um, but, you know, after the first game, there was some talk about kind of playing Pania and Bunbury as inverted wingers, which is what we saw in the first game. We saw again in this game. Do, does that make sense to you where, you know, Pania is a guy who can cross with his left foot. Bunbury is a guy who's not just not a great crosser, period, but obviously better with his right foot than his left foot. Um, do you do you start to see that as a problem a little bit to have those two guys if you know if they're not getting in positions to kind of cut inside and take shots and they're not guys that are going to be kind of going to the end line to try to cross with their weaker foot? Mm-hmm. Um, what is, what is your take on on those guys kind of playing on their their weaker foot side and being sort of more inverted wingers in these first two games? I, I think I think the problem right now is is that the the revolution formation lacks balance. It lacks balance because Bo is not a normal number ten, and he's not getting himself into positions to support his wingers and then. Vice Vice versa. We saw this, I think, mostly in the Montreal game. It was a little bit better against Chicago. Um, Pani and Bunbury as wingers don't necessarily bother me. What bothers me is when Bo is dropping back far too deep in the midfield. Um, now your wingers are dropping back to get the ball at not advanced positions. This is why Bo needs to push himself higher up on the field. Um, this is why I was always like, why is Carlos Gill, first half of last year, always in his defensive third getting the ball back? That's bad. Um you need to have the distribution going forward. Um, one of the things that I loved about Diego Fagundes in Montreal was he was basically, he out, he out Scotty Caldwell, Scotty Caldwell, um, passing, recycling the ball left, right was perfect. The problem was, is that it was always at the midfield stripe. When, when the revolution are doing really, really well, that recycling of the ball is happening at like the, 
the, you know, the top of the circle, 40, 50 yards away from goal, not 60 or 70. And I feel like that's just where New England is right now. It's just instead of getting all of the killer passes into the 18, they're getting all the killer passes before the 18 and having to settle on longer, not as great big shots. Um, the chances they do get inside the box, we're putting 50 yards above the goal. So it's one of those things where I think Gill balances out two problems. One, you get a you get a true creator in the middle of the field and someone who can maneuver the ball where it needs to go and then continue to support the attack. The Revs' attack right now seems far too direct. Um, the wingers are having to come into the middle of the field to fill the space that Bo is leaving. Instead of Gill or Bo or Busca dropping into that space and then people moving up forward to replace that space. I think right now you're just seeing a little bit of a static movement of the ball gets to the defensive midfielders, the ball gets to the wingers and to the, and to the attacking midfielder. And then that's sort of where it dies instead of the ball being, you know, balanced between the lines and moving back and forth. You know, the Rebs are not really a possession team. They're going to be more of a, a countering style team. Um, they're going to want to move the, the ball through those lines quickly. Um, but when you're not supporting those lines and when you're not filling the spaces properly, this is the kind of attack that it seems you, your attack seems very narrow in my opinion. Uh, you're not getting your wingers involved in the game in the spots farther up the field where they need to. And, and Bo, who I do, I, again, will say is still not a number 10. He's doing as well as he can um, creating chances and set pieces and everything else. It, it just, it seems like it's just a, a smidge off on a lot of different little things. And that leads to the, God, if we, if we just finished one of those big chances, we'd have four points instead of mm, we've missed all these big chances. We have one point total. So, yeah, and I think you make a great point, too, about you know the Fagundes and the role he's played. And I, I think that's kind of the problem in the first two games is you do see him at midfield making those you know good yep. passes to, to move the ball from left to right. Um, but it's happening so far back that um, you you know almost wonder, you know, if the Revolution were pushing forward and had more possession, I think his play might look a lot better than it's looked um, in these first I, two games. I am really intrigued based on particularly Fagundes' first game. If you go to a 4-1-4-1, and I'm going to sort of say this is kind of a weird Fubarish formation. You're going to have some weird combination of you've got only got one holding midfielder, and I want some combination of maybe Diego and Gill in the middle. And then you just sort of stagger your center midfield, and you figure out a way of what wing are we going to put Gustavo Bo on, or what strike parry, or we can even go four four two and just have two strikers and just let Bo roam around as if he's kind of a winger. Um, for me, I would drop Pania when Gill comes back and I would try to push Bo out to one of those, either, either straight up next to Busca, go four, four, two, or put him out wide and have Bunbury on the other side. And then you can sort of mess with Pania and bring him in late or figure out a way how to balance it out. Um, at the end of games, when you're trying to close something out, maybe you want Buchanan to run people off uh, into the ground instead of Pania. Um, things like that you can do when you have a full strength lineup um, because you've already got Diego on the field. Now you can drop him, in Scotty Caldwell, and now you still have that passing matrix, but Scotty, you don't need to do that stuff 40 yards away from goal. You can have Scotty at midfield recycling the ball left or right. Um, I, I think New England is 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 very close right now. Hill's a big piece of the party, a uh, big piece of the puzzle, I should say, um, tactics-wise. Um, the fullbacks, I'm telling you, I, I think the crossing from the fullbacks and the support the fullbacks are doing this year is great. Um, 
as as the the wingers sort of sort themselves out and get situated when when the spacing is all proper um it's only going to get more effective because their influence um will be will be a lot better right now i think they're sort of struggling to figure out what the wingers in front of them are doing and and trying to find the spaces uh, naturally for them as well but um like i said just it, it just seems it just seems off right now there's something there's something not right and and new england isn't isn't adjusting to Gill not being there in, in particular. And that to me is um, something, if it's going to be a long-term thing with Hill, which it's not, it doesn't seem like it's going to be. I just think Bruce is just, there's just a little adjustment or a little tactical thing. That's just not, not sticking right now. And, and that right now is the difference between the revs being a, you know, you know, good start to the year versus kind of, well, maybe we're still a little bit more work in progress than we hope to be. Yeah, I know. I completely agree with that. And if, if, you know, heels not out on the field and you don't have that guy that you can play the ball to and, you know, know he's going to create a chance from, um, I do wonder if it makes sense to, to start Diego in that role. Um, or you, do you know, do you think if Lewis Caicedo was out, I mean, to me, if Lewis Caicedo was available, um, you know, given heels not out and given the style of the revolution are trying to play, they'd be better off with, with him than Fagundes at the moment for that role. Yeah, there's, you know, I, I think there's something where if it were me, I, I would be playing more of, of a, a, a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1 where it's like, let's, if you want to have Bo roaming around and doing his thing, that's perfectly fine. But you can't have him as a number 10. You really need to keep him as a striker. You need to tell him, you are a striker. We really need you in the attacking third. We don't need you coming back 70, 80 yards away from goal and helping out nearly as much as he has been. Not that I don't love that stuff. I do. I love it when Hill does that stuff. But that's not what helps out the Revs and then be effective in the attacking phase. Um, the Revolution, our team, we want to get out. We want to we, we want to counter a little bit. We're never going to be a big possession-based team. But we, we just can't have, you know, Gustavo Bo picking up, you know, recoveries and things like that on the other half of the field. Uh, we need him doing that stuff on the attacking half and then turning around and being like, where's one of my wingers? Where's my outlet pass? Where's Buxo? We can advance the ball and then he can give it back to me and we've gained 20 yards of, of territory. Um, those are the types of little productive you know, attacking things that I think the Revs are missing right now. Everything's a lot, everything's very direct. Um, everything is waiting for players to come into support because it just seems the formation is just sort of stretched. There's an imbalance in the formation. Uh, there's not, there's not enough, you know, the spacing seems off, the, the positions seem off. Um, most of that I think is Bo trying to be a number 10, which is perfectly fine. He's not bad at a number 10. I just think positional wise, the, the Revs are just out of sorts. Um, adjusting to where he wants the ball or where he normally is. And I think a lot of times the, the, the ball just seems, everyone seems a little bit more back to goal, far more away, far more far away from where the goal should be. Um, it's not really helpful if, you know, Bo's got his back to goal at midfield with the ball. Well, he's your attacking mid. You need him going towards goal. And I think that's the biggest difference between him and, and, and Heel is that Heel's going to be able to advance the ball on the dribble um, in tight spaces a lot more than, than Bo can. Yeah, no, I think that, it makes a lot of sense. And I think Bo hasn't had the impact in that kind of number 10 role that, you know, heel can have. Um, that's been a key, key problem for the revolution. I think he's done a you know, decent enough job there mm -hmm. uh, doing what, doing what was asked of him, but um, he's just not the same player. Um, but on that note, I wanted to talk about the defense quickly and my takeaway revolves around the defense. And that's simply um, if the revolution are a team that's going to seed, you know, 56, 60% of the possession to teams like this, um, they're not going to be a team that has a defense that's good enough to hold on to a shutout for 90 minutes um, when they're seeding that kind of possession. And I think what we've seen from Kessler has been very, 
very promising. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he had another good game. I thought even him, you know, going forward late in the game and his uh, awareness of, of where to be and the pass that he made out wide to Brandon Bay on that Renick's chance was um, phenomenal and you know a great sign for a rookie like him. Um, and I think the defense is, you know, was decent in this match. Um, with that said, I do think that the goal that they conceded was preventable. I thought Christian Pania should have done a better job to close out. Um, I forget who it was on on the wing there that you know tracked down that ball that looked like it was going out of bounds, and Pania you know slowly jogged back to cover. Um, Brandon By on that cross uh, misread the cross. He was in a position where he could have backtracked a little bit to win that header, but he, he kind of you know didn't didn't really move. Was kind of caught flat footed, and then went for the header and, and missed it. Um, and then Andrew Farrell you know let Jonathan Bornstein kind of sneak in there and was you know, a little bit lazy and lacked effort in trying to track him and and impede his progress. So. Overall, defensively, I thought the Revolution had an okay game, but you know, there's always going to be those moments for the Revs, especially now when you know they're starting Kessler back there and they're still kind of learning each other's habits and and, and learning to play that way. Um, so my takeaway is the defense just isn't good enough yet to hold on to a shutout um, if the Revolution are going to be ceding so much possession and not really controlling the play. Um, and just, again, it just goes back to the disappointment of missing all those big chances. Um, it, th- this team just needs to finish those chances if they're going to get three points. Yeah, I mean, you you look at some of the, you know, in particular, just the number of clearances that the Revolution defense made, you know, 25 of them is is a lot. And I understand that, you know, I don't have a problem with Kessler bombing the ball out um, in particular, um, you know, but that's a a young defense to explain what, what this defense is. It's a rookie center back, a veteran right back playing center back, a converted winger playing right back and a who's a three-year player and another converted winger playing left back. Who's a two-year player. That is not a lot of experience and zero natural players at their defense positions. Besides a rookie. Um, We can debate whether or not Andrew Farrell at this point is a center back, but let's be, let's be fair here. That's sort of, you know, two pretty decent center defenders and two offensive minded converted wingers um, with about a combined, what, 12 years of MLS experience. and, And eight of that is, Ferrells. Uh, so I, I think the defense has been fine. Um, in particular, uh, uh, that was a, I don't remember what minute the save was. I remember it was late because it was still, I think, 1-1. Uh, that was a huge save um, by Brad Knighton uh, late in the game to keep that, I to keep that I think, 1-1. Yeah, it was four minutes after they gave up the equalizer. Yep. <laughs> and then I think um, Kronholm had, had, a, had a save as well in, in the second half. Um, but you know, when when you when you look at the stats, there's basically there's two stats that we care about: um, number of clearances. The Revs had a lot more um, possession-wise. We know the Revs are going to lose on that number. But when you have you know 15 shots on goal and you only made the goalkeeper save the ball twice and pick it out of his net once, that's a pretty solid problem right there that you've got. Um, and you just did not make the other team work more than you did. Um, if if the other team has the ball 50, 60 percent of the time, but you're putting half of your shots on target and you're making the other goalkeeper work a lot harder than yours, you're going to come out with results. And quite frankly, the, the first two games of the year, New England can't say that they've done that. Right. For as good as the revolution were at the end of the game with, you know, four shots on target to six for the fire. And, you know, of course the revolution had a couple of good shots, books in particular that were blocked. Um, but with that said, they didn't convert the chances they did have into, into saves or to even, you know, forcing saves mm-hmm. or shots on frame. Yep. Uh, which is a problem. Um, but talking about the defense, you mentioned a couple things that I want to touch on. Um, one of which is that leads me to a listener question from Revolution Report that asks, can Kessler keep Tony out of the lineup when Tony's healthy again? Um, right now, I would argue, um, yes, he certainly can. Um, you know, there's there's nothing that Kessler's doing that's that's wrong. Uh, you know, arguably, you know, what, what the idea would be is, you know, hey, can you start 
Farrell and Kessler and put and I'm sorry, can you can you start Delumay and Kessler in the middle and can you start Farrell at right back? Is that something that Bruce wants to do? Or does Bruce say, no, no, Andrew Farrell is my number one center back. I'm sticking with By and Jones in some capacity at just fullback. Um if if you end up with Farrell at right back and Bootner at left back, do you decide to keep both By and Jones on the bench? Do you send one of them to Revs too? There are a lot of questions the revolution can answer when everyone is healthy. Um, and I, I think Kessler staying in the lineup uh, certainly would be would be one of them. Um, if he's not going to be in the starting lineup, in, in you want Mancian on the bench, that's fine. You can absolutely give him minutes at Revs too. Um, but the fact that he's he's already got 180 minutes in MLS, and I think he's looked pretty darn good doing it. Um, I don't see necessarily a reason to drop him, um, but it also wouldn't wouldn't be a bad thing to say. You know what? We have this. We're going to try this lineup this week, and if that clicks, uh, we can get the younger guys' minutes uh, elsewhere um, in the USL setup. Yeah, and I, and I've talked about this a lot before, and that my thought process is: I think Farrell is still one of the Revolution's best center backs, and I expect him to stay there. But you know, when you look at Farrell and Tony De La Mea, um, and I apologize if I sound like a broken record because I know I've <laughs> mentioned this on past shows, the two of them both have kind of the same weakness. Both of them struggle with balls over the top. Both of them struggle with crosses. Um, and, and you know, they may be your two best center backs. I'm not sure that's the case anymore with how Kessler is playing. Um, but I don't think they make a very complimentary pairing back there. No. They've done an adequate job in the past. But, mm-hmm. you know, Kessler, in this game in particular, I thought Kessler did a much better job of winning the aerial duels. I didn't think he did a great job of it in the first game. Um, in this game, I thought he did a lot better with that. And if Kessler Kessler can use his body and his size to become a you know dominant presence in the air, um, then I think he has to be the guy that's out there starting, whether that's next to De La Mayer or whether that's next to Farrell. Um, I think it's going to be next to Farrell. Uh, but De La Mayer, obviously, a, you know, a talented center back, um, he does have injury issues. And I, I think he is a guy that you can't count on to play 90 minutes every week. So, you know, maybe you use him more as a rotational guy going forward. Yeah. But to me, yeah, I think Kessler can keep Tony out of the lineup. And I think if, you know, Kessler or if Tony gets healthy, um, there's maybe more of a chance that he ends up beating out Farrell. And that's not necessarily because Farrell has been playing poorly or more poorly than Kessler. I just think the the matchup of mm-hmm. Farrell and De La Mea is not an ideal center back pairing given, yeah. you know, their relative strengths and weaknesses. No, and I, I think the biggest strength that, that Tony has in particular is Tony is by far the best passer on that back line, particularly on the center back spot. Um, That's a big thing. When you have a team that's bad at possession, having a center back who who is very calm out of the back really, really helps. And I think that's sometimes where the Revs miss Tony the most. Um, Yes, we we do need a big ball target clearing, cross-destroying center back next to Tony. Um, If Kessler's that guy, that's a solid pairing. You're right. When you look at the two resumes, very complimentary. Um, there's a reason why Jose Gonzalez and Andrew so- and uh, AJ Source just worked really, really well. It was a very well balanced lineup um, that the Revs had six years ago. And and what I love about Kessler is for I think that entirety of those six years, we've I at least have been screaming, get a center back in the first round of the MLS Super Draft, not a converted fullback, a center back. Hallelujah, Bruce Arena comes in and answers my prayers after six years. Um, and lo and behold, it's like, hey, look, we found a guy who's pretty darn good at it. So, um, like I said, Kessler's fine. Um, if, if Kessler's not starting by the end of the year, uh, I assume he'll be a starter next year uh, at the rate he's going. Figure out what the Revs want to do with the international spots and the big contracts they've got back there. Um, but I, I don't think Kessler's under any pressure right now. He's doing fine. Um, he's doing exactly what he's there to do. He's he's pushing the guys in front of him. Um, if if he loses his spot, it's not because he's done anything wrong. It's because 
you know, there's a certain expectation of, hey, we've got these guys, we've got these guys in big contracts, they're making a lot of money. We kind of started to play them and see if, if you're better than them, you're going to be playing. Don't worry. We wanted to talk about one more position on the on the back line. You, you mentioned when you were talking about the Revolution back line and kind of how young it was and how many guys are playing out of position and still kind of learning the full back spots. Um, one guy that wasn't in the 18 this week but also was not in the injury report was Seth Sinovic. Now, we know that Butner is out injured, um, but Sinovic has been off the injury report. Were you surprised that he wasn't even in the 18? Um, and if he's not making the 18 or kind of competing for that left back role with, with Butner out, um, what really is the role of having a you know veteran left back that um, even in a situation where you're hurting for depth at fullback isn't in the 18. Yeah, that was very interesting because I mean, it wouldn't, it would shock me that to see Sinovic get a run out at, at right back as well. If he's, if he's fully healthy, I know that we've got more people who can play that spot and you're really looking at Sinovic to maybe be one of the, the more left back spots, but uh, looking at the revolution bench, the only defender they had on the bench was, was Mancien. And we already know how I feel about Mancien getting thrown into a game late. Uh, but you also – that was your only defender. So ideally, if you needed to take a defender off, it would have been Mancian going into the middle and then Andrew Farrell going to whatever the fullback spot was. And that's that's really not the kind of defensive lineup you know you want to be seen late in a game because it didn't work last week. Um, I'm, I'm honestly confused as to why Damian Rivera is on the bench. Um, I expect Damian Rivera to almost exclusively be playing this year um, at the USL2 setup, which is perfectly fine. That's where I want him. Um, uh, you know, you've already got Kellen Rowe, Scotty Caldwell – Renex Buchanan. I don't know where Damien Rivera beats out someone off the bench out of those four people. Uh, so really, that seems like that's an odd choice to have on the bench. I would rather have um, the utility defender in, in Sinovic, particularly utility fullback in Sinovic uh, out there. Um, you know, the, the revolution, I, I think obviously wanted Sinovic. Uh, they wanted a veteran presence back there. Um, it's, it's, I assume, very similar reason why they went out and got Edgar Castillo, who, um, Again, the beginning of last year, was arguably the best player for the Revs in March, uh, the beginning of 2019. So, uh, yeah, that one was a little bit strange. Um, only using two subs and not not throwing someone else on there. Maybe maybe a Kellen Rowe, um, just just for fun towards the end, just to, just to you know cause a little bit of trouble for the final 10 minutes. Um, but you know the Revolution, like I said, it's just you know the passing numbers have been just very very mediocre. Um, overall, I, I think Montreal, they did a lot better with at least putting shots on target and, and can, trying to convert some of those chances, but the passing numbers are just dreadful and the passing numbers in the final third are even worse. Um, and I think when you have players like Kellen Rowe and Scotty Caldwell and, and you are struggling to, to generate possession, at least, uh, those are players you would expect to see a lot more of, um, even late in games to try and settle things down and, and get to get you over the top. Yeah, agreed. And when you talk about a, a Kellen Rowe, um, you know, we mentioned Luis Caicedo being out the first two games. And, you know, we kind of saw the lineup last week where it started with Caldwell and Fagundes as the center mids. And then this game where they only used two subs. Um, again, I kind of wonder what, what is Kellen Rowe doing on the I mean, roster if he can't get into a game like this? Yeah. And Kellen Rowe, like we, we sort of joke about it. I'm like, you know, Kellen Rowe could have played fullback yesterday. It would not have been the end, you know, the craziest thing that's ever done. Hey, let's put Kellen Rowe at left or right back and just let him go cause trouble for the final 15 minutes. Um, you know, it's, there, there's a lot of things that, that Bruce Arena has at his disposal. Um, and I think the, the more, the healthier the revolution get, you see more of those options. Now you're looking at, well, maybe Bunbury's coming off the bench more and he's your closer. He's out there to shut down one wing and just use his engine to just, I'm taking away this section of the midfield, go somewhere else. Um, you know, maybe you're, you know, you look at someone like Kellen Rowe, you can put him at the six. You can put him out wide. You can put him in the middle. Like there's, there's any number of positions you can put Kellen Rowe in, 
pretty much everything but center back, I think is the running joke um, from two years ago. Uh, and I just, yeah, there's, there's, there's just, it seems, it seems like New England just should be able to just out tinker other teams. Um, it, whether that's in the starting lineup, whether it's the middle of the game, just the number of things that the New England Revolution can move around on the proverbial chalkboard um, and the tactics board, uh, they should be able to create mismatches somewhere on the field. And I just think right now, it's just it, it's that chalkboard; those adjustments are just just static right now. They're just either not working or they're just not happening. I haven't quite figured out which one yet. Let's talk about the tinkering for a minute. We talked about, you know, last week, Bruce Arena after the game essentially said Montreal outplayed them or was the better team in the game. Um, but there were only two changes in this game, one of which was, you know, Knighton going in for Turner because Turner was hurt. Right. And the other one, which was Zahibo for Caldwell, um, which I think based on what we saw in the last game made a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of Zahibo's performance? And were you surprised that we didn't see maybe one one or two more changes based on what we had seen the prior week? Um, as far, I mean, I think defensively, everything everything seemed okay to me. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't see there was a reason unless someone was healthy and going into the lineup, I didn't see a reason to change anything defensively. Um, obviously Wilfred Zahibo had a, had a pretty big impact in, in Montreal. So getting him into the lineup seemed fine. Um, I, I think what disappointed me was that was that really only Zahibo changed. And I think it made Diego Fagundes a little bit worse. Um, as far as he had a very, very clear and defined role. Um, in, in Montreal, and he, he, he stole that from Scotty Caldwell. Um, in, in this game, he, he in particular was another one where I'm like, I'm not really sure where he was playing. And I'm not sure if that was because Zahibo also kind of sort of goes everywhere, or if the two of them were just kind of sort of interchangeable. It, it just seemed like they're, they, in particular, those two just lacked a little bit of set. This is what we're doing. And I think to me, that's the part of the game plan that might fall on Bruce is you have these two guys, you want them to play holding mid, but really Diego should be getting forward. It should have been Scotty Caldwell sitting back last week, and it should have been Zahibo sitting back this week and Diego being that more forward player. And instead, it seemed like last week, Diego just sat back and, and recycled the ball around, which is what you want Caldwell doing this week. I don't know who was supposed to be going for Diego or Zahibo. And that seems another one of those off balance issues with the team. When you're mid, when you're holding midfield isn't set up very well, it affects the midfielders in front of them. And then that line is a little bit weird. And then we can't get support into the final third because the strikers and the wingers are all out of sorts. It's just sort of another one of those little wrinkles where it's like, instead of settling it down and fixing it at halftime or addressing it, it just something about it just seemed off and it seemed off the entire game. And it just didn't, change not that it was bad not that it was ineffective it just it just it could have been better and there's a lot of those types of things that i think the revolution need to work on right now some of that was heel coming back some of it is just recognizing it knowing hey we need to do this then this instead of just sort of playing soccer yeah and and you mentioned in-game changes the one thing i was surprised we never really saw is pania and bunbury switch wings Mm -hmm. because i don't think either of them at least late in the game i don't think either of them was having that much success um and you know we saw both of them come off as subs um but neither of them really they never really switched wings and we know both those guys as they talked Mm -hmm. about were kind of playing as inverted wingers you think that'd be something to kind of give a different look to the to the uh other team and the other defense but um, that was something we haven't really seen much at all in the, yeah, the first and two games. Someone, I will not be able to find out who, but someone had that exact same thought where it's like, you know, hey, Teal Bunbury is having a problem on this side. He, you know, maybe if you try and put your pace on that side of the wing um, against the Chicago, uh, the Chicago back line, maybe that adjustment uh, would work. I think it was um, uh, Teal Bunbury mostly going up against, um, is it um, Branico, Brant Branico? 
on the right back side for Chicago. That seemed like that was a very fun matchup yeah. in the first half, but that's also very much like, you know, two square pegs going at it. Uh, you put Pania, the, you know, speedy round peg around there, maybe that changes things. Um, and then you have, you know, Bunbury on the other side. So that's something that I think the Revs should just be doing just naturally, just like every 20 or 30 minutes, just sort of messing with that. Um, right. Again, something that's, again, a very static, um, no, this is our lineup, this is what we're going to do. And that should not be what the Revs are. The Revs should be, I think, a lot more proactive um, in in that regard, uh, whether that's coming from Bruce, whether that's coming from the players on the field, um, just because they should be able to recognize, like you know, hey, us us both going forward isn't really working. Let's switch sides. Let's have you stay back. Let's have you know Diego stay back, and and be the decoy or the recovery man. Um, you know things like that. Just I, I just think there's just you know something's just a little off. It's, whether it's communication, whether it's adjustments. Um, I don't think the Revolution are playing badly. Um, they also aren't necessarily playing very well all the time. And I think I I'd rather see you know, a little bit of improvements across the board will lead to far more good things we've already seen. Yeah. And before we get to listener questions that there was one more change in the lineup that I always wanted to touch on quickly because we haven't mentioned him was, was Brad Knighton going in for Matt Turner, obviously forced for Turner's injury. Um, but I thought Knighton had a very good game. You, you know, you talked about that save in the 74th minute that, you know, kept the revolution from falling behind um, really smart positioning, uh, excellent performance from Brad Knighton after, you know, what was a, a performance from Turner the week before that uh, certainly had a few question marks and a few low points. Um, what do you think of Brad Knighton's performance? And are you concerned at all that Turner missed this game? wasn't part of the 18 um, listed as questionable on the injury report, I believe. But uh, any concern there? And, and what were your thoughts on Knighton? No, I mean, I mean, Matt, Matt Turner's the starter just based on last year. And unless unless his form goes you know considerably into the tank, uh, Brad Knighton is Brad Knighton, like he, there's a reason he's one of the best, I'd arguably say best number two goalkeepers um, in MLS. Um, he's not going to go out there and lose you games. And as a number two goalkeeper, that's exactly what you want. He came up with, with a couple of big moments. Um, he kept, he kept the revolution in the game late after, after giving up the equal, the equalizer, which was not his fault. Uh, you know, that's, that's just what you want from him. You know, is the distribution always going to be great? No, not really. Uh, that's not what he's back there for. Um you know, is are, is the positioning and the saves, the shot stopping going to be right up there with, with, you know, any backup in the league? Absolutely. That's why he's there. Um, you know, you're not worried about him trying to like, oh, we want him to be passing and things like that. Like, no, get the ball out there. Stop the ball. That's all we want you to do. He's been doing that for a long time. That's that's not going to change, at least for a, a couple more years. And I do want to jump into listener questions now. Um, a couple of them related to the subs, which was uh, Tejan Buchanan and Justin Rennicks coming in for Pania and Bunbury around the 78th, 79th minute. Um, the only subs the revolution made in the game kind of coming late. Uh, Mike Kennedy asked, should Buchanan start or is he better as a spark plug off the bench? Um, I like him as a spark plug off the bench, um, quite frankly. In particular, uh, I, th- I thought the sub for, for Pania was was warranted. Um, it was probably warranted 10 minutes earlier. Um Right, right as Agreed. Chicago, right as Chicago scored in the 70th minute, not 10 minutes later. Uh, same thing with Rennicks. I, I don't love taking off Bunbury against Montreal. I don't really, I don't love taking off Bunbury really ever. Um, but at some point, it's like you know, hey, you know, Teal probably runs a heck of a lot more than everyone else on the field combined, so it makes sense um, to try and save him if it's only for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, no, I, I mean, I think at some point, you know, if, if Christian Pini is going to be kind of this bland and 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 ineffective largely when 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 he comes back i would expect pania to be relegated to the bench and pania to be that spark plug and then that sort of leaves buchanan and rennix fighting for maybe there's only one spot off the bench now because pania has one of them um so again i like the fact that that both of those guys we know that they missed those chances we might call them sitters um a sitter is not a goal 
A sitter is a shot you need to put on target. There's a huge difference. The goalkeeper is allowed to get in the way still. Um, I know both those guys have missed sitters. I know they want to put all their shots on target. Uh, Again, the fact they're getting minutes, they're getting the right spots. Goals are going to happen if you do those things, and it's just sort of a microcosm again of the Rebs are doing most things right. Just when we get to the final third, there's a little few hiccups like that. Um, They're not the only ones that are doing it. I'm very happy that they're getting minutes. Um, If they're not going to get more minutes than than the poultry 10 or 15 uh, that they're getting, I hope they start getting a ton of minutes down at USL and start killing it down there so that Bruce has to go and look and be like, I kind of probably should be putting Rennicks out there more, shouldn't I? Or maybe I actually put Buchanan in. Maybe he does get a couple of starts later on in the year. Um, things like that. You know, I, I think uh, b- besides the Open Cup type uh, matchups, I, th- I think you'll see more of, of Buchanan and Rennicks this year um, at MLS, but they'll probably also get like, you know, a thousand minutes or so at USL too. Yeah, I agree with all that. And, you know, to be honest, going into the season, I thought it would be Bunbury that would move to the bench for mm-hmm. for, when, for Carly's heel when, when Carly's heel was healthy. But after these first two games with no, how he has performed, I, I changed my mind on that I one. Did, yeah, no, it, it, it really it really needs to be Pania. And I, I again, I want to stress the biggest thing right now, and I, we saw it last year, please, for the love of all um, that is holy and Taylor Twelman and all everything else, do not, under any circumstances, continue to put Gustavo Bo as number 10. That is Carlos Gill's spot. Anyone who, if you want to put someone next to Carlos Gill as a number eight, that's perfectly fine. Gustavo Bo plays either two positions. He either plays next to the number nine or he plays as a winger. There are no other options. Um, and if you're going to stick to the 4 2 3 1, Bo is out wide and Pania and Bunbury are with him on the opposite wing. Let them switch as often as they want. I don't care if it's every five minutes because Bo gets bored. Let him do it. And I don't think Pania will, I don't think uh, Bunbury in particular will care about that because um, he's on the field. He's going to run around. He's going to do his thing. Um, you need Carlos Gill in the middle of that field. I, you need you need him getting the support from either a partner or the two holding mids behind him and let him distribute and let him figure out the direction of the attack. Um, and that includes getting getting Bo farther up in the field instead of Bo dropping back and trying to be the creator because that's not that's not where we want. It's not where we want Gustavo Bo. He's been he's been great. Um, the set piece chances. I'm so happy the Revs might be a set piece threat because that is something where we have been so horrendous at set pieces and and crossing. I don't even care that first goal was a short quarter. Hashtag no short corners for kids. Um, that was a good that was a good short corner routine. And I'm not allowed to say that legally because you know there's a law against that. Um, but yeah, there's that's that's the biggest thing right now uh, when we get when we when we get Carlos Gill back in the lineup. I think it'll be for Christian Pania, and that that's a very very odd thing to say going into the beginning of the year. No, and you make a great point about the set pieces. The Revolution have been really, really dangerous looking on set pieces this year. Mm-hmm. Offensively, defensively, they've still shown some of the same weaknesses we've seen in the past no. defending them. Um, but that's something that you'd hope with more time under Bruce Arena, with more time for you know Kessler to learn the professional game that they get better at. But um, it's it's nice to see the Revolution be a lot better attacking yeah. set pieces. And I, I think strangely, like having like a true center forward helps in that regard. Like I, I feel like the last time the Rebs were were a, like a better set piece team was when Kai Kamara was roaming around because Kai Kamara just heads everything. Like it's a, it was amazing to see like, I don't think we deserve that goal, but Kai Kamara got his head on it. So it went into the goal. I think you're going to see um, books get a few of those. Um, but um, that, that first touch, that, that first touch uh, across Calvo at the top of the box, that is filth. Um, and then turning around and finishing on the one time into into the side netting. That's just that's not something I expected to be in 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 Books's repertoire. Um, now that I know he has that shot uh, in the proverbial golf bag, uh, damn, is all I can say about that. 
Well, I'm, I'm going to get off topic for a second here because we're going to get more Buchanan questions to, to get to. But um, <laughs> but by one comment on the opposite side of, of Luke says, a, a phenomenal finisher. And what we saw there was was really promising. Um, what I haven't seen as much of that I think I was hoping to see um, for him as, as far as how the Revolution offense is going to interact when Carlos Hill is out there mm-hmm. is him being a guy that with his back to goal can kind of yes. win the ball and have some hold up play and maybe spring a guy like Gustavo Bo, who you know, you know, mm-hmm. kind of kind of envisioning a guy like Buxa winning the ball and sending it back to both to send a cracker into the net or, you know, yes. fantastic pass from, and, and that we haven't really seen so much of from nope. Buxa's ability to play with the back to the goal. Is that at all something that concerns you um, going forward? Or is it just, you know, the reality is he's a guy who's better with his front to goal and the revolution offense can accommodate that. I, I think a little bit of both. Um, let's, let's add the whole, Hey, we're not getting the ball to, to, to Buxa in great spots. That's with his back to goal. And that's with his, but that's facing goal. We're just, I don't think we're just, no, we're just not getting the ball to Buxka enough, period. Um, I think you're going to see uh, Buxka being able to do that. Remember how I said that that balance between the lines and things where you're not getting the ball to Buxka in great spots? A lot of that is you're probably getting the ball to Buxka facing goal when you need him to be back to goal and have support. And those are things that I think Gil in particular are going to really, really help with. Like I said, there's, there's nothing wrong with what New England's doing right now. But when it all starts to click, you're going to see it click, I think, real quick. And you're going to see you know, wingers running off each other and hold up play. And all those things are going to happen probably right around the same time Gil gets back into lineup, but maybe a couple weeks after. Um, but there's, there's, we're going to add that to the long list of things of, Hey, our target strikers having a problem getting the ball in the proper spot. Part of that is because you've got his partner playing, you know, center attacking mid. Um, and, and we haven't figured out the, the, the support structure around both of those two guys yet. Um, because half the support structure is playing 15 yards behind where he should be. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I think you're going to see more of that. That's another thing of, of the, the checklist of, you know, Hey, is Zahibo going forward or is it, is he the recycler guy or is it, um, is Pania going to switch wings? All those little types of questions are things that when they get answered, you're going to see the revs creating and converting a lot more chances than they are now. All right, back to the substitution questions. Mm-hmm, David mm-hmm. David Sibillian, uh pretty harsh on, on Tejan Buchanan, but his, he says that uh, Buchanan was sloppy when dribbling, losing possession several times in crucial moments. Besides pace, what is Tejan great at? And to add some context to his comment, um, Tejan was dispossessed or had four unsuccessful touches um, in his short period of time, which was good enough for second on the revs and most unsuccessful touches and also had one time dispossessed. So those aren't really great numbers for a guy that was only on the field for 11 minutes plus stoppage time. But uh, is that comment too harsh? And what else does Tejan provide other than pace? Um, I, I mean, this is, uh, again, this is, this is where I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to mention um, making subs in the final 10 minutes, I think is stupid. Um, if, if you're, if you're just trying to close out a game and waste time, uh, all of your subs should more or less be done by the 75th minute. And I, I will, I'm a firm believer of this subbing anytime after that doesn't do anything. It doesn't give the person coming onto the field enough time to get themselves involved into the game. And Tejan Buchanan in particular, yes, he's got a lot of speed. You need to give him a few touches. You got to get him on the ball a little bit we don't need these little dink and dunk passes he's not a target winger we need him you know bombing forward and causing problems um if you want to use him as a target winger you can you're going to be disappointed um you want to use him as a problem maker and uh to be fair he despite the limited minutes uh has shown yeah hey, hey he can cause some problems which is why you get him in the game before the 80th minute so no i don't i don't think it's necessarily harsh I think some of that harshness needs to be redirected to Bruce Arena to a use all the subs and b use them a little earlier so that instead of 
chasing the game in just the final few minutes, maybe that little revs flurry, maybe that starts five to ten minutes beforehand and that pressure builds and you crack Chicago in the 85th instead of three minutes after stoppage time. Yeah, agreed. And we, we've got three questions here related to Kellen Rowe that I think we could probably cover all at once. So uh-huh. I'll go through all of them. First one comes from Mike Kennedy, uh, who asked, with Renix seeing time and Rowe out, what does that say about Rowe's what, what does that say about Kellen Rowe's role this year? We talked about that one a little bit. Um, the Randy LH asks, is it time to sit Diego and give Rowe a chance? What can we do to improve our abysmal finishing? And then C-Money from Discord asks, should Rivera and Rowe start against Portland after Diego and Pania slash Teal struggled today? Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on whether or not Rowe should get more playing time and, and kind of those, those proposed substitutions of giving Rivera and Rowe time or just Rowe time or sitting Diego or sitting one of the wingers for Rivera? <laughs> um, I, I mean, it, you know, I, I would have, it would not have shocked me if you had taken off, if the third revolution sub in the, I'll say 80th minute, assuming Brennix and Buchanan came on in the 70th. Um, if the final sub of the day was, was Rowe for, row for Diego like that's a perfectly fine sub it should probably happen five ten minutes earlier but I'm not going to you know beat that horse uh any more than I have um I I think that that Kellen Rowe should be getting absolutely more playing time than he has which I think right now is nil um in in MLS minutes um but again the question is 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 what uh, what type of role uh do you want um for Kellen Rowe is he is he strictly coming off the bench is he a utility spot starter um what matchup, you know, one of the things when I say the revolution should be tinkerers and should be creating mismatches, Kellen Rowe is one of the players who should be bringing off the bench to create one of those mismatches. I don't know what it is, whether it's marking someone, whether it's getting the ball into a certain spot, whether it's playing next to um, heel as a more number eight type player. Those are the types of maneuvers that you should be making instead of just like for like subs for your speedy box to box midfield types. Um, you know, you have those types of players, uh, on the bench, you're going to have a Luis Caicedo available off the bench or a Zahibo or a Rowe or a Caldwell. You have these guys on the bench. You need to use them to create mismatches. And Rowe is one of those guys who should be on the field um, to to force the other team to do something to react to the fact that O'Kellen Rowe is there. Um, and I think that when you make like for like subs, when you just throw on Buchanan and Rennicks for the final 10 minutes, you don't force the other team, in this case Chicago, to change anything other than, hey, Buchanan's still really fast and he's got fresh legs. And I think, and I, I, I just, I think again, that's another element of like, I'm like, something's missing here, and it's just, it's not being changed. And the, the, the positioning and the formation and everything is just static. And when you're static and you don't change things around, and you don't force the other team to do something else. It's harder to break them down. Yeah, and I agree with everything you just said. The only thing I'll add is going back to the first question and the the, the list of questions about Colin Rowe is is uh, Mike Kennedy's question. What does that say about Colin Rose this year? That Colin Rose role this year that he hasn't gotten minutes um, and Justin Rennicks and you know Buchanan have. Um, and you know I agree with what you're saying that you would think that these are games where you know especially when you're not using your third sub, you could bring him in for Diego Fagundes to kind of change the matchups and, and create chances. But the fact that he's not going in and the fact that, frankly, he didn't play well last year for Salt Lake, he didn't play well last year for Kansas City um, after leaving the Revolution. Uh, and the fact that if you watch the preseason games, I don't think he played very well in the preseason for the Revolution. Um makes you wonder if there's you know something wrong there. This isn't the same Kellen Rowe that we saw from you know the Revolution three or four years ago. Um, and that's a bit troubling. And the fact that, again, we haven't seen him at Bruce Arena, obviously had confidence in him to bring him back to this team um, after, you know, 
not playing that well last season for other teams. Um, and maybe that confidence so far hasn't really been warranted based on what Bruce Arena is seeing in training and based on what he saw in preseason. Um, because I, I agree with you. If, if he had been playing well, if this was the count row of three or four years ago, you would think that you would be seeing him um, make those substitutions and bring Rowan Fagundes late, Rowan for Fagundes late in the game or, you know, Rowan for somebody else, um, especially when they're not using that third sub. Yeah. Um, but the, the next question uh, kind of leads to the same thing. Uh, Revolution Report asks, does a team really have depth if after one injury, Renix and Buchanan are its attacking subs? Um, and I think they mean one attacking injury because the Revolution have a lot more than one injury. Um, right. And, you know, my take on that one is, you know, Renix and Buchanan, I think, are good players. Uh, they're mm-hmm. young guys that have a lot to learn. And I think the, the rule of, you know, 80th minute subs, if that's what they're going to be, isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, nope. you know, I do think there's reason to question the Revolution's depth, again, because a guy like Kellen Rowe, a veteran who you'd expect to come on and help the offense, hasn't been playing. If he's not ready to help this team um, in that role, then, you know, maybe the Revolution don't have enough offensive depth. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think often we got to remember that, you know, when you look at your offensive depth, it's very similar to your defensive depth. In theory, um, you know, you're one of your best uh, left midfielders is playing left back. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe a solid right midfielder is playing right back. Uh, your best right back is playing center back. Well, when you when we flip this around, um, one of your best utility midfielders is playing holding mid. Um, one of your 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 best off striker is playing attacking mid. Um, so yes, this is this is why things go wrong is because you've got everyone sort of not at their best positions. Um, when you have, you know, Carlos Hill back on the field, now you've got Bo back at a better position than he is. Maybe that frees up um, Diego or Roe or Caicedo to be more of a number. I'm not here to, to talk about the past. Uh, it, I, I don't have a problem with, with Tajan Buchanan and Justin Ranks getting minutes ever. Um, they are both good players. I, I think they both have uh, certain roles and are, are very, very good. I, I think Justin Rennix would be another great off striker to work with, with Buxa because he is a little bit more of a standard, you know what? I, I am not a number nine. I'm not a target man, but I am a striker. And I feel like, you know, he's not the same playmaker that Bo might be, but he is that guy. I'm like, Justin Rennix is going to pop up somewhere where he's absolutely supposed to be. And, and he's going to blast a, you know, a pretty good shot into the goal. This is exactly what I thought he did. He was going to do before he you know, blasted that one into Rosie. But again, you have to be in the right spot to take the shot to put it in Rosie, as opposed to being in the wrong spot and the chance never even occurs. So that's where I see Renix, where I'm like, you know, yes, that's exactly what he's on the field to do is to be in the right spot when that chance shows up. Um, and Tejon Buchanan is who Tejon Buchanan is. He's he's pretty good, good attacker in his own right. Um, so them getting minutes is, is is not the issue. I think they should be getting more minutes than they already are. Um, and and being being late subs or late cameo subs is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but you need an opportunity to to be involved in the game. Um, and if that one opportunity happens on your second or third touch, well. That just sometimes is unfortunate. So the next question comes from Cameron Young, and I think we can go through this one quickly because it kind of ties in everything we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asks, has Bruce Arena caught Friedel-itis uh, in the sense of <laughs> bad subs, not using all three of them and making them late? And you commented on a lot of those points already, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. is, is uh, Friedel-itis a bit harsh? <laughs> no, Friedel-itis is a bit harsh because, again, it part of it also is, and and this was uh, more of a knock on on Friedel was um, Bruce, I think is, is trying to leave his best players out there to win the game. So holding off on the subs is something that I think is a little bit more, I don't want to say natural, but a little bit more standard for Bruce. It's like, I have the veteran guys, I'm going to run with them. And then I'm going to roll the dice with the younger guys because the worst thing that happens is, well, we know it doesn't work and we tie the game. And I think that, that Bruce is balancing the, 
I don't want to lose the game. I don't want the young kids to lose to me the game if they make a mistake or I have them in too long. Or if I put them in for 10 minutes, it's probably long enough, long enough for them to do that one good thing. To be fair, he's been right on that second part. Obviously, the, the one good thing hasn't been converted. Um, but I just think like if, you, if you're comfortable with them coming in the final 10 minutes, you should be comfortable with them coming in the final 20 minutes or the final 30 minutes. Um, and that shouldn't change because they are younger players. Like, no, they're professionals. You see them every week. You know what they're capable of doing. Give them the opportunity to do that. Um, if they're not doing that at the MLS level, then give them the opportunity to start in the USL level because one of the reasons why maybe these guys aren't as well-rounded as we think they should be is because they aren't getting those game reps that everyone at Red Bulls is or everyone at Orlando has been or whatever the heck Dallas does to churn out a thousand homegrowns every year. Um, things like, like I said, there's, you know, knocking the revolution for, for, for the first two games, like, yes, they deserve to be knocked. But remember, this is the best off season ever in the history of the revolution. I already wrote about this. Um, it's not even debatable. Um, this is the beginning of the long con. We don't need the team to be really, really good right now. Although we'd like them to be what we want them to be is pretty really darn good two or three years from now and they keep getting better all right last two questions then i got a couple comments that i don't think need responses mm-hmm. um the the first question is from quite revs who asks, what changes would you make to the lineup are you sure it's not too early to talk about reinforcements because we've needed them all off season and effectively ignored that position i assume that's probably talking about central midfield i'm assuming and- solely midfield yep <laughs> Yep. And thoughts on playing the kids? Should we do this more or less of it? Which I think all kinds of ties into changes to the lineup. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, with if, if there were no restrictions on Garber bucks and international spots and salary cap and things. Yes. As well, of course, I think I think we need we need a we need just one really great, awesome center midfielder. Um, we didn't do that. We went out and we got a number nine to pair with our kind of other other striker. And Carlos Gill. You know what? I'm fine. I can work with that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with with Wilfred Zahibo. There's nothing wrong with Luis Caicedo. There's nothing wrong with Scott Caldwell, Diego Fagundes, Kellen Rowe. All of those guys are good soccer players. Even Kellen Rowe, um, especially Kellen Rowe. We don't need to knocking Kellen Rowe on this show. I will not allow that that such uh, shenanigans. Um, what we need is we need we need to figure out a way how to get that supporting cast because now it's a supporting cast Luis Caicedo we thought was going to be the guy no he's a member of the supporting cast we need to get the supporting cast in a position to help the big stars and vice versa and right now that is not happening there is an imbalance in the lineup that imbalance will be somewhat corrected when Carlos Gill comes back but more importantly there just needs to be that tinkering those little changes that understanding of hey I know you're doing this I need to be doing this. I need you to recognize to get into that space and take that over. And I need to put the ball into that space to get it to you. And I feel like those little things are not happening. And those little things would be happening regardless right now, who's in the lineup uh, in particular with Gil out. Um, There's, there's no, there's no outstanding move that I would make right now. That isn't, we need to get Gil back in the lineup after we get Hill back in the lineup. Then we can start going, okay, now what are the best spots for everyone on the field? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think it's very hard to come up with too many personnel changes with the current options available. Um, but, you know, the one thing I would say is I do think the Revs desperately need 
reinforcements at the central midfield position. I think they should have gone in the offseason and somehow found a TAM signing to to fit that role. Um, I, I agree with exactly what you were saying, that you know these guys are kind of the supporting cast of the stars. But yeah. I think you need one of your central midfielders to be more than supporting cast. Uh, right. I think that's kind of the problem. It's such a crucial role that I think the Revolution have a very, very good roster and a very good team that you know should certainly make the playoffs and compete for maybe a top half seed. But I think the one thing they're missing from being an actual contender to win a championship yeah. is a dominant central midfield. And, you know, like you said, Caicedo is a good player. Zahibo is a good player. Fagundes is a good player. Caldwell is a good player. Um, you know, Calvin Rose is a good player. All these guys are good players, but none of them are great players. Right. And I think they need to be paired with a great player for this revolution team to be truly successful. It's not an easy position to find somebody for, but I think no, that's, it, that's vital. It, again, it, it goes back to when were the revolution at their best. They were at their best in 2014 when they had the following. They had Charlie Davies up top. Is he a prototypical number nine? No, but Charlie Davis is a pretty darn good soccer player. You had Lee Wynn down the middle, right behind him, and you had Jermaine Jones right behind him. That spine was really, really good. Well, right now, your spine, or your three best players, I don't know where, where Bo fits in that mix. I really don't. And, and I don't, there's, there's an, that's the imbalance is, are we playing Gale as a number 10? Is he got two strikers in front of him? Is Bo out wide kind of sort of roaming and causing trouble and creating those mismatches that we want? Um, is he creating those mismatches with Carlos Pinilla, with, with uh, Christian Pena? Uh, is he creating those mismatches with Teal Bunbury? I don't know yet because we haven't got them all out on the field. And I feel like we need to sort of answer the question of get everyone on the field first and then start figuring out the questions or be prepared to make those adjustments very quickly once he'll gets back so that you can, you know, punch through and not, not look like the team you are right now. Because again, the team you have right now is not bad. You know, you, you know, in order, in order to miss big chances, you have to create big chances. The revolution have never had a problem creating big chances. Um, they now have a, a number nine, an, another striker and a big time playmaker at the, in the, in the final third to convert all those big chances that they make. Um, they've never had that before. They've never really had anything close to that before. Um, so there's, there's, that's the other interesting dynamic with this team of now you're such a team that's so top heavy. How do you balance out the supporting cast in behind? And until we answer that question, when we get all three of the big DBs on the field, it's really unfair to talk about what to do at holding midfield until we fix and get every one of the top half sorted out. Yeah, and as far as actually making changes to this team, you know, the only thing I would talk, do potentially is what we talked about earlier, and that's kind of switch up Bunbury and Pania because I don't think mm-hmm. it's necessarily been that effective as inverted wingers and do that on a game by game basis. And as far as playing the kids, I don't think you know. I think I agree with you that you know they should be coming off the bench sooner, but I'm not sure any of them have proven um, they're ready to start yeah, over those guys, even with they're not playing that well. And, and, the, and the other thing is, like I said, like you know, with you know, if there were no restrictions on guard bucks or things like that, like yes, you'd probably go out and get a big time you know, DP signing and holding mid. Well, you've already got three DPs, so now you got to figure out, can you get another TAM signing when you've already got two guys in, in Zahibo and in Zahibo and, and Luis Caicedo, um, Caicedo one, you've already got two TAM guys that are kind of sort of already there. So, you know, how do you balance? You can't have three TAM guys at one position. That just seems a little weird. Um, so I think it's one of those things, you know, at some point you're, you're just going to have to see that, you know, the revolution, when, if they, if they retool, a position where they go out and they do get one of those spots. Uh, you might have to see one of those guys get traded in order to open up that international spot or open up the 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 uh, salary cap space um, to have to have someone on that roster in that in that position to to be that partner for whether it's Caicedo, whether it's Scotty, whether it's Zebo. 
whoever you want to keep, you might have to get rid of one of those guys to open up the spot of the roster or the salary cap space to get that additional signing into that uh, into that holy midfield spot. All right. And the last question comes from Powder Hungry, and I'll let you go first, but I have my own thoughts on this question. Would you rather see the refs end like they did or play like crap and squeak out three points? I mean, obviously, you always you will always take three points, but I think that again that that final that final stretch that's why those adjustments need to happen sooner because that team is capable of hey let's switch on the afterburners and just run someone else into the ground for 20 minutes um and new england is a team that can absolutely do that and they should have done it to chicago you know credit to chicago for sticking out and, and holding on to that point um in particular can come home again that, that that late goal um that late saving goal for chicago again really really key just as uh Knighton was key in the in the final stretch. Like that, that game deserved to end one one because the goalkeeper said so, and because the attacks were just, you know, kind of average for the entire night. Um, you know, obviously, yes, I'd, I'd I'd love for the team to play well. Playing well does not always mean points. Playing well sometimes means losing. Um, but at the very least, you know, when you're playing well, you know that points will generally come. And right now, uh, the, the revolution have work to do. Yeah, my, my problem with this question is I think it implies the revolution played really well. And I don't think the revolution did play really well. I no, think they, played, I they played okay. Um, I think, I think it would it be unfair to say they played better against Montreal. Would it be unfair to say that? I think you could make that case, uh, especially because it's a road case. game. Um, at least from a shooting standpoint, like shots on goal standpoint, like it seemed, it seemed like we made Montreal work a lot more. Um, but that game was weird because that turf sucked. Yeah. Or so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I want to say like this, this was, I don't think this was a great game by other team. Um, I think either team could have won it. Either team could have lost it. I think a draw is completely fair. Um, would I would I have taken a draw in Montreal? Yes. Did I think the Revs played well enough to draw that game in Montreal? Yes. Um, is there a difference right now? Two games in, having one point or two points? No. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, I think you always would rather see the Revolution squeak out three points um, and play like crap than, you know, play decent as i'd say maybe they played this game not great on the other hand if it was an early season game where the revolution absolutely dominated and you know looked fantastic and only came away with one point then you know maybe you'd say hey this was such a great performance and shows so well going forward that maybe it was better than three points um but i wouldn't argue that about either of the revolution's performances so far um that you know three points would have been better (laughs) would have been better even if they Mm -hmm. you know squeaked it out and you know good teams find a way to grind out three points when they're missing a star like carly's heel so even a you know poor performance that saw three points would have been a good sign um and and particularly at home again dropping points at home is never a great thing and the the last two comments i'll just read through quickly because i think we both agree with both of them and don't need to comment on it um mj says fit renix with a pair of goat horns you can't miss those i think we both agree that he can't miss those um and james downing points out the obvious carly's heel is pretty core to the success of this team huh um i think both of those comments are go are are both things that we can uh, agree on um and a couple other quick news things i wanted to mention before we wrapped up the revolution announced their all-time team uh, during halftime of this game and really quickly steve nickel the coach obvious choice goalkeeper matt reese obvious choice defenders andrew farrell michael parkhurst chris tierney probably a bit more controversial in some of the choices there midfielders clint dempsey diego fagundes shari joseph lee win steve ralston forwards joe max moore taylor twelman really quickly anyone on there that you think shouldn't be on there and anyone on there that you think was a big snub to leave off um, I, I think if, if you're going to go with the, with the, the focal point of the Steve Nickel three, five, two, um, you, you must have Jay heaps in that back line, um, in the three, five, two over, over Andrew Farrell. I love Andrew Farrell. Um, but there's there, the, the, the more that you, you hearken back to the days of the Steve Nickel era, when this team was arguably the second or third best franchise in the entire league for a decade, 
Um, you want to be highlighting that as often as possible. Um, I think I think Jeff Lorenowitz deserves a shout um, on this team. Um, aside from that, I don't think there's a ton wrong with it. Um, you know, obviously there's players like you know, is Jermaine Jones one of the best players ever to play for this team? Yes, absolutely. But he was only here for 18 months. Um, is one of the best seasons in, in Revolution history, Jose Gonzalez in 2013? Yes, it was, absolutely. Um, is that enough to be on the all-time team? No, probably not. Um, I, th- I think the team is right or, or pretty darn close. Um, I, you know, someone like Pat Noonan just misses out. Pat Noonan was a damn good striker. Um, and we forget that because he played next to Taylor Twelman um, and Steve Ralston. Like, like those guys were good. Um, but no, I, I, I don't think there's a, there's a lot to really, to, to really mess with there. The, the, the Steve nickel three, five, two, that's the formation that you want. Um, you've got your two holding midfielders. You've, you've got your, your attackers, you've got your two strikers. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot to like in, in, in that group. And, um, where when, instead of an all time, you know, history team, there needs to be something in Gillette stadium or dare I say downtown Boston that might, you know, have, all of those players, um, maybe rotunda to a stadium or entranceway or hall of fame, or I don't know, something, uh, ring of honor, uh, all these things that, that it should exist and still yet do not. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you just said, so I'm not going to harp on it too much, but to me, the, the big snub is Jay heaps. I mean, Jay heaps yeah. was one of the all time leaders in appearances for this team. He helped lead the team to four MLS cup finals. He left mm-hmm. them to two us open cups, including a win. He's, he left them to a super league. Let's, let's he also, also not forget. Second best head coach in team history. Let's not sure. even debate. Yeah, that's, 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 not, no. that's not a debate. There's, it's a short list of good coaches. In <laughs> right. Arena, right. Might, the, Arena might be third for crying out loud. He, he might be. The, the competition <laughs> is, is pretty slim after um, after Steve Nichol. But yeah. um, I, to me, that's a big snub. And again, no, no knock on Andrew Fowler. I think he's a good player. And you know, by the end of his career, maybe maybe there will be a case for him over Jay Heaps. I just can't make the case right now. Um, no. You talk about longevity issues. Uh, guys like Jermaine Jones, Francis Okura, even, you know, Carlos Shimosa, um, players that talent-wise, you know, probably belong over in Andrew Farrell or Chris Tierney or you know Diego Fagundes. Um, but then you factor in longevity, and it's harder to make the case. Yeah. Uh, but then you do have the exceptions where you know Clint Dempsey was only on the team for three years, but he was such a good player you that could, you have to find I, a way listen, to put him on you there. You could, you could, you could easily put Clint Dempsey there, but Clint Dempsey was also he was on a couple of those MLS Cup run teams and right, things exactly, like that. Like exactly. he missed all the silverware part, but there's a reason why there's more logic why it. the Revolution were jump started into getting there. And Dempsey was a big part of that. Um, now I think Chris. I think Chris Tierney is like. Listen, if you Chris Tierney's the left back. Um, obviously, if you're only doing three defenders, is he one of the three best defenders ever? I don't know. Maybe not. But is he so. the left back? I'm willing to say yes. Yes, he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jay Heaps would be on that team over Chris Tierney too. If we're making that argument, right? Um, I, I think again, if if you're ranking, well, how, are we only putting three defenders on? Who are the three best defenders? Tierney's probably right there at like fourth or fifth. But is, you're telling me like is he the best is he the best left back ever or the most important left back ever? I could go with that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's a strong case that Joe Franchino, who captained the team to all yeah. those MLS Cup appearances at you left can, back, absolutely um, is, is in that conversation. And mm-hmm. Ted Kronopoulos, who was a fantastic player in the early years, again, is in that conversation. Yeah, the, again, there's there's a handful of guys that those early 2002 2003 guys, like a lot of those guys, there's a reason why that Rev team was so darn good for so long. Kronopoulos and Franchino in that back line were another reasons why. Um, it also helps you got Shelby Joseph cleaning up everything in front of you, but that's not the point. Um, we already knew Shelby was going to be on that list, and he's never. I don't think Shelby's ever going to come off that list, as far as I'm concerned. And probably no neither is probably neither is Twelman. Probably neither is well, maybe Joe Max. Um, you have to do a lot to get past Joe Max, and and because if if you're going to bump Joe Max, you also got to get past Noonan. And I could argue I could put Noonan up there too. But yeah, like I said, there's there's a good. I would almost argue like I'd rather make like the Revs best like 23 man like Olympic 
or international roster. Right. Because that'd be a way more fun exercise because then you could go too deep at every position. Um, and then you can throw in guys like Shuttleworth or even Matt Turner now at this point at goalkeeper, Aiden Brown. All those guys are going to be like, you know, hey, you know, how good of an exercise is that? Like the one best team, a lot more debate because it's a little bit more controversial, but you know about eight or nine of those guys. Like, no, no, no those are the starters. And you got to really do a lot of work in your career to bump off. Uh, even someone like Lee Wynn now is probably going to be there for a while. Um, unless Carlos Gill just goes off the rails the next five years. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it's possible, too, that Diego Fagundes gets bumped off. I think I think Fagundes would get bumped off before Lee Wynn um, at this point. Um, so cut, another couple quick points. What do you think of the uh, new home jerseys that made their debut? Listen, I own I own the crayon stripe jersey. It's a glorious jersey. The crayon stripe is amazing. Uh, it resembles the crayon flag, which is the greatest logo in all of MLS soccer and should never be changed under any circumstance. Um I, I like the throwback. I like I like the red shorts. I like everything. I, I, I hope we go back next year to the to the to the white shorts and the navy, but I, I really like this. I, I like a lot of the kits that I've seen this year. Um I think um I think DC also has the red shorts. Um I just I just I like it. There's something about it. It just works. The league did really well on these. Um we're gonna make fun of the Adidas stripes. Um, but I really I really like what the league did overall with these. I know we're gonna make fun of them a little bit. Um <laughs> But it's I, there's there's a lot of really really good good team looks that I, that this year the yes, they everyone looks the same but it's still like there's there's a different contrast and we haven't seen um, in a handful of years and I I, I enjoyed um, enjoyed that uh, for the Revs in particular with the uh, homage to the '96 team. Yeah, there there are a few MLS jerseys this year that I don't think were were home runs, but we can save that for another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only comment on the Revs jersey, my only negative comment on the Revs jersey is I do think the uh, sponsor United Healthcare logo is the biggest and most prominent of any <laughs> MLS team this year. And if I'm standing, you know, 25 feet away from somebody wearing a Revolution jersey, I'm going to think it's a United Healthcare advertisement. Um, that's my that's my one negative on on that jersey. Um, but I, you know, otherwise I, I mostly agree with you. And I do think it looks better with the red shorts than it does by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's my thoughts on that one. Um, one more thing I want to talk about is the news about Victor Winyama, who was apparently on the Revolution's discovery <laughs> list, got signed by the Montreal Impact. And the Revolution somehow got 150K for him. The the rules in the past have said, you know, you get 50K for somebody. And so I'm a little bit confused by exactly how that worked out. And I don't think anyone's provided a great explanation. But what what are your thoughts on that one? Um, we just talked about how the Revolution needed a great defensive midfielder, a central midfielder. Right. It doesn't seem likely that, they, that Winyama, given they used three DPs, was, was really an option. No, he wasn't an option, but the, the fact that that might have been on the table, and again, it goes back to, you know, could could you have operated with Bo as the number nine and had Wenyama as the number six next to one of your other center midfield types? That have been interesting. Um, do I necessarily think that, that Wenyama on turf is a great idea right now? No. Um, do I think Wenyama on Olympic Stadium turf in Montreal is a great idea right now? No, absolutely not. Um my only thought on the 150k part would be um, when the Revolution had Sebastian Legette and sold him his rights to um, LA Galaxy and really annoyed Bruce Arena in the process. I want to say that that mechanism of forcing the 50,000 allocation was when you had the player on your list and you weren't going to do anything with him. It seemed like Montreal and New England were very much like we want him. What do you want for him? Kind of question. So that's why the 150k came into play. Um, if this is the last parting gift of Brad Friedel's Tottenham slash international, but mostly Tottenham connections, um, it's not a bad parting gift, 150K in Garber bucks. The Revs might be able to do something with that in the summer. Yeah, no, I know. I agree with what you said. And my, you know, I, 
completely agree with you with your points about Wanyama on turf. Uh, as a Spurs fan, for those that listen to the, to the podcast know, um, <laughs> Wanyama's been a pretty big disappointment for Spurs over the past couple of seasons. Um, he's struggled uh, <clears throat> mightily with knee injuries. Um, and he really, when he has played, he hasn't looked like the same player he was before he came to Spurs. He's only 28 years old, so he's not a, he's not an old player. But I would be very concerned with a guy that's had the history of knee injuries he has mm-hmm. playing on turf. And we know the Revolution have a history of signing guys with knee injury histories, yeah, and it hasn't really worked out well. We we have we have our own issues with or, or signing guys who then develop knee injuries before they come to the roster. Yes, um, apologies to Mr. Kwasi. I, I I thought Xavier Kwasi might have been might have been that that DP type player who could have uh, helped us out or that, that high Tam player who could have been that number six. Uh, no, when, when Yama, again, when, you're right. When he plays, has he been the effective, awesome number six that you wanted him to in, in Tottenham? No. Tottenham is not in MLS. MLS is a little bit of a different thing. Uh, someone at the, at, at his age with his skill set uh, could come in and do a lot of very good things. And, um, Montreal is if he's healthy if he's healthy but again Montreal right now is is already a team that seems to me like they're already a little bit of a crafty bunch and if Thierry Henry isn't a terrible head coach uh that Montreal team could be a problem Uh, and we'll just just have to see how how much of a problem in the east um because now um speaking of bad injury news um Atlanta United has some problems and they might not be the elite team that we think they are right I think I think the eastern conference with with Joseph Martinez likely out for the season is kind mm-hmm. of up for grabs. Um, it, it, I, I think I think it's NYCFU's division to lose <laughs> at, at at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, could could a team could a team like Toronto or a crafty team like Montreal could they get up into that into that area? Um, absolutely. Um, what I'm still waiting to see is um, uh, speaking of which, NYCFC still too that's very interesting um do, do i'm waiting to see where the middle of the east sort of pans out where where new england falls in that because that's going to be a big thing um i really think the crew got better um and that's another team to, to look out for um as as the top of the east is now all atlanta and then everyone on four points and then everyone else who's not very good um you know yeah the, the east was always going to be a little bit weird this year as far as where the middle would pan out and now that atlanta might significantly drop back to the pack um, it just makes things more interesting because now um, you sort of stretch out the very good teams and you have fewer great teams at the top that you have to chase down. So that might be very right. interesting how that plays out uh, long term. And before we wrap things up, the Revolution have a game on Sunday coming up against the Portland Timbers. The Timbers lost their season opener, but as we record right now, are up one nothing on Nashville for late in the game for potentially their first win of the year. Um, any final thoughts on that game, or you know anything else you want to discuss before we wrap things up? No, there's a so apparently there's been a, there's been a schedule change, and Seattle is now coming to bother us um, at home a lot sooner than they were supposed to. Right. Um, so that's going to open up or call some kind of a five home games and six stretch that like the entire now april is is almost at at home uh or something like that That's yeah i know a- they're they're they play at home against portland this weekend and then they go away to salt lake and then they have a, a bye week and then they're back and they have saturday april 4th mm-hmm. home against colorado wednesday april 8th home against seattle saturday april 11th home against cincinnati on the road against the rebels and back home for april 25th against montreal um, so they ha- they have six games in April because they have another midweek game after that at yep. Toronto. At Toronto, um, but four of those six are at home, and and then they're back and home again. So you've got a stretch of five of seven at home. That was the math I was trying to do in my head. So five of seven at home by the end of more or less by the end of April. Um, we're going to find out very quickly if if New England is going to be a contender because if they're still 
like mid table in the East after a whole bunch of home games in April, uh, that does not bode well um, for us. Uh, I know that the Revolution have been have been a much better team on the road under Bruce Arena and a much harder team to beat in general under Bruce Arena. Um, but I mean, we got to we got to go through that stretch. I'm assuming. Um, let's assume that maybe maybe we tie Real Salt Lake. God, if you don't have at least four wins out of that stretch or five wins out of that stretch, that's not great. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. Being without Carlos Hill early and having all these home games, <laughs> you, you got to find a way to get three points in those games, yeah. or you're going to dig yourself into a deep hole. There are, you know, maybe the top of the East isn't as good as it was before with you know Joseph Martinez out no. for Atlanta, but there's still a lot of good teams in the East that you pointed out. And yeah. if if you dig yourself into a hole early, um, you know, you're not going to be fighting for a home playoff game. You're going to be fighting for you know bottom half of the playoffs. Right. No, I mean, like, look at last year. What was the whole? I mean, we dug ourselves. What it was a thirteen point hole by the end of April. Something like that. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. And I mean, like that took us three and a half months to dig out of, and then it took us a month to clinch a playoff spot. So yeah, we we've already done that. Uh, we did that last year. I don't want to repeat last year. Last year hurt too much. Um, I'd I'd much rather be. Listen, if we're if we're just going to be like the fourth or fifth seed, pretty much the entire year, that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, but I I do want to see the revolution at some point take a significant step forward i don't know what that step is uh in the standings or how big that step is um but certainly like should they be five six nine points better than they were last year uh i would certainly hope so um but nine points better last year puts them well into a home playoff game um you know five points puts them near a home playoff game uh, based on last year's standings um and if a team like atlanta is going to drop back or a team like new york is going to do whatever they're doing the first two games um it, it it does make the the conference very interesting all right and before we wrap things up um where can people find your writing and give us your twitter handle oh god writing i remember yes i do that um i am at jcadenese43 i write at thebentmusket.com uh you can find us um all over we're, we're trying to to regroup here beginning of the year we uh my my work is not kind staying up all night and then trying to sleep during the day and write. I know the feeling. And it's it's yeah, this is not a not a good habit to get into, kids. Um but over overnight pay is very, very good. I love I love my paycheck. Um but no, aside from that, no, it's 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 a very uh, it's something that we're hoping to get a little bit more more into now that the, the rev season is, is underway, a little bit more commentary, some some positive and negatives from the first two weeks. Um, that we talked about here, including, again, the, there's nothing wrong with playing your kids. Playing your kids is good. Um, play your kids more, in fact, instead of just the final 10 minutes, Bruce. Um, we we like the kids. We want them We want them to miss the sitter and then five minutes later come back and hit the winner because they have enough time to do that. <laughs> well, thanks again, Jake, for joining us. You can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. You can follow Revolution Recap at Revolution Recap on Twitter, and you can also like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, please leave us a review if you liked our show. And if you didn't like our show, you can send us a DM instead. <laughs> and thanks again to everybody for listening. Um, we appreciate your feedback and all the great questions again this week. I thought all the hate mail went to Connecticut. I thought I got all the hate mail. <laughs>